everybody. How are you this morning? You guys doing good? Like my preschoolers always say, thumbs up. We're doing great today, right? Because we are in the house of the Lord. We're going to praise his name. Would you stand with me this morning? We are so excited to have you here with us worshiping. Turn to your neighbor this morning as the band begins to play. Just say hello to each other. Greet each other this morning. Now, 
I know you know this next song, so I want you to sing it out with all your heart. Your voices, a pleasing sound to the Lord today because he is our great God. It's nice to have all of you here today with us.
God is so sweet and he has many, many names. Sovereign God, the great I am, King of kings, the Lord of lords. It is so sweet just to say the name of Jesus coming from our lips this morning.
Good morning, everybody. Have a seat. We're, welcome. We're glad that you're here. I want to welcome all of our guests. Thanks for being here with us. Listen, I want to encourage you. Stop by the Welcome Center on your way out. We have a gift. If you're our guest this morning, please stop by the Welcome Center. Listen, if you've been here one, two, three weeks and you haven't stopped by the Welcome Center and you have been still checking out Crossroads, please stop by the Welcome Center. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to figure out how we can best serve you. And we'd love, we'd love to give you a gift. So, we encourage you to stop by the Welcome Center on your way out uh, before you go home. Stop by there. The, the team would love to connect with you. Uh, church, I also want to say those connect cards in front of you, those blue cards. Please use those if we can be in prayer and join you in prayer for anything or if there's something we can connect with you about. It could be a question you have or if you're looking for a resource to help you in your growth uh, with your relationship with Christ, please let us know. Um, it could be questions about baptism, uh, all those things. Please use that Connect card or just send us an email. Give us a call at the office here, and we'd love to connect with you and serve you because we're all on a journey of growing in Christ. Amen? And so we want to be able to do whatever we can to help each other grow. I've asked Chrissy to come up and share about the extravaganza that's coming up on April 1st. So would you guys welcome Chrissy McNeese to the stage? Okay, is that better? All right, coming up here in three weeks, we have our extravaganza. These are some pictures from last year. Um, if you have not registered, you can register online on our church website. And uh, if you find the link, it'll say extravaganza. Click on that, and it'll take you where you need to go. There are three time slots that you can choose from. You can come at 11 and 1 or 3 o'clock. And we anticipate having 900 kids pre-register for this event. So as you can imagine, we're going to have a lot of fun. There's going to be a lot of action up here on April 1st. And uh, there's many ways to get involved. I want to say thank you to uh, a lot of you who took bags of eggs and stuffed them with candy and more candy and then more candy. So thank you very much for doing that. We have 15,000 eggs that we're going to be throwing all over the field throughout the day. And I'm, I'm pretty sure all of them are, uh, are taken and they've been stuffed. So thank you very much for that. That's a huge blessing. And if you want to help out the day of the event, um, it is a carnival theme. So um, we're going to have a lot of games out on the field. So you could, um, just to give you an idea of ways that you could help out, uh, you could help out at a game, you could pass out candy, you could be a part of the actual egg hunt itself, which is pretty cool. Um, whenever all the eggs are on the field, it takes about 30 seconds. We do a little countdown, and then in 30 seconds, it's like a vacuum. They are all gone. <laughs> so it's really neat to watch that happen. Um, we have prizes we're going to give away. You could help out there or with food, or we have a ticket booth where you could help out with parking. So there's a lot of ways to plug in. We're still looking for some volunteers for the day. Um, you don't have to do the whole day. You could pick and choose some times that work for you. So if you want to jump on at 11 or at 1 or at 3 and volunteer your time, we'll take you. You can come and join our team. We have a lot of fun. And most importantly, I just want to ask everybody to join us in prayer as we, um, in the next couple weeks, as we look forward to this event. We have flyers that we're going to pass out. There are some at the back table um, in the lobby there. And these flyers are for you to give to your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, your friends. And um, I'm going to ask that you take one and stick it somewhere in your house where you could pray over this event. We're going to have the opportunity to share the gospel. 
uh, Luke Sareka is going to do that from this stage. So everybody who comes is going to hear um, the story, uh, the gospel story. So just be, be in prayer that um, for the families that are coming, that God will prepare their hearts, and, um, and they'll want to come back and hear more about what's happening here at Crossroads. So thank you very much. Thanks, Chrissy. There's two, there's actually three more really important dates that I want to put on your mind uh, is, is one is going to be our Good Friday night of worship and communion. That's going to be on Good Friday. Uh, it's going to be at seven o'clock right here in the auditorium. And then Saturday, that next Saturday, the day after we're having a, a six o'clock gathering. And then on Sunday, we're having an 8 a.m., 9.30 and 11. So 6 o'clock on Saturday and then 8 a.m., 9.30 and 11 on Sunday. That's going to be our weekend gathering. So we're going to. Focus on the sacrifice of Jesus on Friday, and then on Saturday and Sunday, we're going to celebrate that he is our risen Lord and Savior, which we can do that right now. But I want to encourage you, invite someone to join you to church. Invite someone to come with you. Invite someone to sit next to you. Invite someone who may not have a church or maybe who's not sure where they're going. You know, there's nothing better than having somebody personally invite you to come. So I encourage you all, invite somebody to join you on Good Friday and then one of our uh, Easter gatherings uh, that weekend. Church, would you stand with me as we continue on this morning and as we pray? I also want to say thank you for your faithfulness in giving unto the Lord, worshiping Him. Uh, you can give give through the mail, you can give online, or using the offering boxes here in the auditorium and the foyer. But thank you for being faithful to the Lord and giving. God, we love you. You are the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And Lord, we uh, we just we celebrate what the gospel means. It's good news. It's deliverance for people. And that means us. Lord, we're sinners saved by grace. Something we don't deserve. Lord, thank you for, for loving us enough to send your only son to the cross. And three days later to rise again. And that he is our king of kings, our Lord of lords. God, be with your people as we meet this morning and as we worship you and as we hear from your word. We pray for this egg hunt. I pray for this whole team that's uh, serving at this event and putting this whole event on. Would you bless them? Would you give them the people that they need for this team? God, would you put on the hearts of this church to respond, to be a part of this team, to serve the kids of this church and this community on this egg hunt? And Lord, for our Good Friday and our Easter gatherings, we want this to glorify you. That's all we want. We want to praise your name in all that we do. Lord, help us in Jesus' name.
culture, our religion, they attempt to define him. They attempt to define us. So we tell ourselves, I am not enough. I am not worth it. I am unrighteous. I am unholy. But Jesus is the I am. So rewrite the script cover the shame be filled with grace embraced by love the question remains who is Jesus really who is Jesus to you good for time change Sunday, I'll tell you that much. Half your length, all right? You know, 11 o'clock will be packed out today because you'll think it's the 9.30 service, all right? But anyhow, we're glad that you're here today. What a wonderful day. Can we just thank God? Amen. What a wonderful God we serve. What a great time of worship, huh? What a great time of worship, just lifting up the name of the Lord. Uh, this morning is uh, we're jumping in to our series. We're continuing on this series, Who is Jesus? You know, Jesus is 
fill in the blank, and everybody has a different idea of Jesus. And I've heard people say, well, you know, that's not what I thought Jesus would be, or the Jesus that I would love. All right, we're going to look at the Bible. Who is Jesus? What, 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 what was he really like? And he is God revealed. Like, that's what he is. The, the scriptures over in John chapter 1 tell us that he is God revealed. God came down and walked among us. He, this was God in the flesh. He was present at creation. He's the creator. So as we're looking at this, we're going to look at different aspects of his life. Last week, we looked at Jesus as the friend of sinners. And thanks be to God that he's the friend of sinners because you and I were both sinners. We're, every one of us is a sinner. And we need a Savior, and, and that's who Jesus is. He's our Savior. So he came because of our, uh, because of our sin, because of our our separation from this from our eternal God. So he comes and he is the son of God. He comes and he pays the price for us. So as we're looking through the life of Jesus, I want you to think today about the, uh, the, the, this Jesus who is powerful. That's the first fill in the blank in your notes today. Jesus is all powerful. Would you say that with me? Jesus is all powerful. He is all powerful. But whenever you're going through life at times, you wonder, is his power even in presence? You know, we know that he's all-powerful. We know that he can do all things, and we see him do many things in the Scripture. But sometimes when you're going through life, you begin to wonder, well, gee, what's going on? So as we jump into this passage this morning, we're going to look at a miracle of Jesus. But as we look at this miracle of Jesus, I, want, <clears throat> I just want to stop on that thought for just a moment because many people are saying, well, I need a miracle in my life. And why didn't I get that miracle in my life? Well, God's, God works in so many different ways. He works in so mysterious ways. We can't understand all of his ways. We can't even begin to fathom all of his ways. But as we go through this passage this morning, we're going to look. We're going to see the power of God and what he did there. And then we're going to look into our life and see how that, how that we can see him as powerful in our daily life as well. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Canaan of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Um, I want you to catch this here because this, this is a pretty, pretty wild thing here. Here's Jesus. He's, he's come and they, uh, they've gone to a wedding. And there is all these details in Scripture. And the details are there because they're pretty important. And I want you to catch this when you think about a wedding because a wedding is a, is a pretty serious day, is it not? Uh, when you go to a wedding, you know that it's a day of high expectations, right? Oh, everything's got to be perfect. This bride has been planning this day for all of her life. Not just last week like the groom was planning, right? I mean, this is like the highest day of her life. And so you can see the tension. You see the mother of the bride. And I can speak firsthand and believe because my daughter just got married three weeks ago. We're living a little of this, right? We're going through it, and it's like, you know, everything's got to be just right in the ceremony. You're like, you know, oh, no, move that candle to the left. Move that to the right. Make this everything just perfect. It has to be. Uh, how's it going to look coming down the aisle? You've got all these things that are coming up, and you can just feel the tension in, in the auditorium as everybody's waiting for that bride to come down with her dad, and dad's being stared at, too. I know. I've done it twice. And as you do that, man, you, feel, you realize this is a day of high expectations. You know, I do a lot of weddings. I, I uh, get to officiate many weddings throughout the year, and it's always a fun time. But, you know, there's uh, fun things that happen at weddings. 
it's like people pass out. Have you ever known? Have you ever, ever been to a wedding and one of the attendants passed out? It's kind of kind of wild, you know. I uh, I did a wedding not long ago, and I see the you know here's the bride, here's the groom, and right behind one of the bridesmaids is going, Ooh. and I thought it was just her heels, and uh, and somebody came running up and took her down. I was like, okay, you just sit down, everything will be fine, right? It's the day of high expectations, and so when you're going through the day of high expectations. This, this is what Jesus stepped into. He stepped into the scene of the day of high expectations. And I want you to get this because in your life, you're going through life and you have these high expectations of life. However, we don't quite live up to them. Like you know that this is how you wanted it to go. This is how, when you got married, this is how you thought your marriage was going to go. It's going to be this high expectation. And then life comes in somewhere below those expectations, doesn't it? I mean, you thought this job was going to be the, the greatest job in the world. You thought that that job would make life so happy and it would be so much fun and it's your career and you couldn't wait to get there and then it doesn't meet your expectations. So we have all this level of high expectations and yet we, we kind of are living life below those expectations and that's where all this disappointment in life comes in. And quite often we'll look in life and we say, man, we need a, we need a miracle. In my marriage, I need a miracle. In my career, I need a miracle. In my, my kids, my, I mean, this is what I wanted for my kids. And my kids, they're, they're living way less than the expectations. I need a miracle for my kids. And so we're in the story here where the wine ran out. Now, and when, Jesus, when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus says to him, they have no wine. I, I want you to catch this because the cultural context is, is pretty big. Today's world, in the, uh, in, the mar- in the wedding, the ceremony's a pretty big deal. It's got to be perfect. The reception's a big deal. But in that day, the reception was the biggest deal. The reception would go on for an entire week. You could have just a week of, uh, of celebration and partying. So can you imagine the food and, in this case, the wine that they would have to have that would be present there? Uh, in, in those days, there was a saying by the, by the Jews that uh, without wine, there is no joy. And so what this was, was wine was a symbol of joy. And if you would go into the Old Testament, you'd read different verses that would refer to the, to the joy, and they would just associate this wine with, uh, with, with joy. And so in Eastern cultures, if you did not have this hospitality, you, you were bringing this wine, this symbol of joy, and if you ran out at the wedding, it was, a, it was like the sacred duty of the Eastern cultures to be hospitable, and if you ran out, man, it was a disgrace to your family. It was a disgrace. It was a very extremely difficult situation. It's more than what we can comprehend. You know, today, if you ran out of something, you, you come to my house, you're not getting wine, number one, all right? Uh, if you come to my weddings, you're not getting wine. Uh, I, I want you to catch this here. Whenever you come to our house, if I run out of cheeseburgers, I say, well, we'll just call and we'll get more, right? Uh, we'll, we'll just call and we'll, we'll go down and... Uh, We'll, get, we'll go to the grocery store. We'll, we'll get, get a couple more cheeseburgers. So I send somebody down, we get some more cheeseburgers, right? Um, in our day, we don't understand this. It, it, that culture, this was like, wow. And, and to complement it more with it being the, the, uh, the symbol of joy. Like this was the symbol of joy, and the joy was gone. And I want you to think about this today because for many of us in the room, we're facing similar situations where your joy is gone. Like, what is the thing in your life? Like, like in this story, you can look, you see the wine. That was the symbol of joy. Well, what is the joy in your life? 
What's the symbol of joy in your life? What's the joy that's been robbed? What's the joy that's been stolen out of your life? You had this expectation that's going to be wonderful, and then it comes in short. What's the joy that has been taken? And so as you look through this, I want to remind you that many times it could be in your family situation. It could be in your job. It could be in any situation of your life that, that the expectations fall short. But know that Jesus came into the very same situation, and I believe that he still is coming into your situation like this today. He knows that your joy has been robbed. He knows that somebody has stolen the joy. He knows that the expectation of life is not even near where you set out. The day you got married, you had all these great dreams that were going to happen in your life, and then you get 10 years into it, and you say, okay, this is certainly a little harder than I expected. Actually, it is always harder than you expected, isn't it? I mean, that's the, that's the truth about anything. And so there are things about your joy. So what is, what is your joy that has been robbed in whatever area of life? When we're run, here's the deal. Whenever we're running on empty, whenever we're looking at those, those expectations that have fallen, we tend to look at the problem, we look at the natural problem, and we attempt to fix it naturally instead of looking for a spiritual answer, instead of looking for the Spirit of God to step in. Um, you know, I, I was reading a story one time about a lady who was cleaning out her bird cage. She had birds. She loved her birds, and so she had a vacuum, and she was in there, and she... She's cleaning out her birdcage, and the phone rings, so she reaches for the phone, and when she does, she sucks the bird into the vacuum. <laughs> she goes over, and quickly, she's like mortified, as you can imagine, so she opens up, and she gets the bird, takes the bird out of the bag, and, and gets all the, the, the dust, the lint, and all that stuff, straightens the bird back out, puts the bird back in the cage. She's, uh, she, she watches the bird, and she notices that the bird's not quite himself anymore. A few weeks later, she's call, she calls to her friend, and, uh, and she says, hey, listen, uh, you know, she tells him this terrible experience about sucking the bird in the vacuum. And, uh, and my understanding, it's a true story. And she looks there, and she, she's on the phone, she tells her friend, she says, listen, my bird doesn't sing anymore. He just sits there and stares. And I couldn't help but think that that's how we are sometimes in our life. We don't sing anymore. We just kind of sit there and stare. You know, when some of these traumas have happened in our life, it is painful, and it's big. And losing your joy is, is like the hardest thing. It's not just like, oh, it'll come back. It's like, man, sometimes we're sitting there, and we're staring, and we're not singing anymore. And Jesus came into that situation to, to repair that. He came into that situation as the God of the universe. And when he came into this situation with this wedding, um, he's showing us how powerful he is. Here's what happens. Quite often when we're going through life and we're facing these trials, we're facing these problems, we tend to let our feelings override our faith. Here's what uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And so we've got to let faith override our feelings. And what happens is we typically let our feelings override our faith. So I want to encourage you to to walk by faith, not by sight. Don't be looking for uh, what, what, what is the answer right now because you're never going to find the answer right now. When you have an expectation that hasn't met, hasn't been met, you t we go all guns a-blazing to meet that expectation. And you'll go guns a-blazing to try and meet your expectation. 
But God says, listen, I want you to come to me. You've got to understand, walk by faith, not by sight. Don't walk by feelings, walk by faith. We have an expectation of life and we take matters into our own hands. And what that really is, is like Frank Sinatra said, he did it my way, right? I'm going to do it my way. And so this is what happens. We look in life and we, we come and we say, I'm going to do it my way. And this is the only way. So, so what happens is your, your expectation hasn't been met and you're dealing with this emptiness, you're dealing with this brokenness, you're dealing with this loss of joy, and so you start to do it your way. And I want to remind you of what the scripture says here. Mary, she, she comes and she comes to Jesus. She, she comes and she asks Jesus. She says, hey, listen, the, the, there's no more wine. And, and, and here was Mary who raised Jesus. I mean, she taught him the ABCs in Hebrew, of course. She, she, she raised him, and, and she saw that this was the perfect son of God. And she had this message, but you know, I'm, I'm sure it didn't totally sink in. Like, you know, as you're dealing with this, and, and you're raising the kids, and, and, and she, you know, she had other children. And like I said before, he was the only child that never had to be disciplined. Jesus never had to go to his room. <laughs> He was never bad. He was always at the playground, I guess, you know? I couldn't imagine that. See, if that would have been me, I'd have had to go to the room because I'd have been like, nah, 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 I'm at the playground, right? Jesus never had that. He, he, never, he never disobeyed his mom. He never, he never once told a lie. He never once did anything wrong. He, this was God in the flesh. And so when we come to this situation, we've got to come to God. See, Mary comes to God and she says, hey, Jesus, we're out of wine. She, it's not even her wedding. So there's probably something in her that's stirring her up like, you know, well, we got to do something about this. So what does she do? She comes to God. And I want to encourage you in those moments of unmet expectations, come to God. Over in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, we read this. This is God talking to the nation of Israel. And he says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. He says, in repentance and rest, you will find salvation. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you shall have none of it. Repentance. You know, repentance is a scary word. When we hear repentance, we get afraid of that word, but really it's a beautiful word. Repentance is this. You were heading this way. You were doing it my way. Your, your joy was lost. Your expectations were unmet. So you were going out and you'll do whatever it takes. And, and listen, folks, when we're doing it our way, we will go to whatever extreme to meet this need in our hearts. There's a need down deep in your soul. It's an emptiness. It's driving you. And, and, and we're looking at this loss of joy. And when we're going at it our own way, it doesn't produce. God told the nation of Israel, I see you as a people. You're doing this. And he says, in repentance and rest. Whenever you repent means to change your mind, to make an about face, to come to God's way. So, so he says, whenever you stop doing it your way and you change your mind. You see, the, 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 the reason that repentance is to change your mind first is because everything starts in your mind. You have to start there. Your actions will never change until you start here. Start in your mind and in your heart and your soul. Change your mind. And so as you change, as you turn from my ways, you turn to the Lord. He says repentance and rest. Oh, boy, there's so much rest in salvation. 
When we come to God and we start going His way, I'm going the way of the Lord, do you realize your soul is blessed? You're no longer striving to meet that need on your own. You're no longer losing your mind to, to feel this, this emptiness inside. And repentance and rest is your salvation. And quietness and trust is your strength. But, but you would have none of it, he says to the nation of Israel. He says, you didn't want this. You said, no, we will flee on horses. When you see a term like that in the Old Testament, the horses is talking about their strength, what they can do on their own, their own personal strength, right? Their military, their might. So for us, we look at it, man, this is what I can do. You said, no, we will flee on our horses. Therefore, you will flee. Uh, you said, we will ride off on, a swift hor- uh, on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one, and at the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. That flagstaff on a mountaintop, it's pretty lonely. You go up and you put a flag up there and you just see the wind blowing and you see the flag flapping. Man, that, that, he says, until you get to that isolated and alone and realizing that I am all you need, this is what's going to happen to you. I told you repentance and rest. He says, this is what's going to happen if you just keep going down your own way. But then he says this, and I love this, verse 18. You know, again, back to memorizing scripture. This is one of those verses to memorize. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. God doesn't say, you know what? You screwed up. Keep doing whatever. God says, I long to be compassionate to you. Jesus told a story over in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son. And the prodigal son ran away. He used all of his dad's goods. And we'll leave that verse up there because I'm going to come back to that verse here. I want you to catch it. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. And the prodigal son, the prodigal son walked away. He blew everything of his dad's. And yet the dad was longing to be gracious to the son. And so we see this picture. And Jesus brings this over, this concept over into the New Testament. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up. The prodigal son goes out and he, he spoils everything. He, he basically destroys his life. And he's eating with the pigs. And as he's eating with the pigs and he returns back to the father, as he's coming afar off, the father gets up and runs to the son. That's this verse here. Then he will rise up to show you compassion. In Jewish culture, the dad would never run to the son. And he says, listen, I'm not like your earthly dad. I far exceed your earthly dad. He will rise up to show you compassion. And so here's what happens. Whenever we're, whenever we're facing these situations, if we're not turning to God, if we're not coming and seeing how much he longs to be gracious to us, and we're not understanding how much he cares, and even though there's this gap between your expectations and your joy is missing, when you're living in the in-between here, even though you're living in there, remember that he longs to be gracious, because if we don't, we'll focus only on the negative, and we will see an exaggerated view of our problems. You'll begin to look at the problems. And listen, some of these problems are, are, are paramount that you face. They're, they're gigantic. It's not negating the problem. 
But what happens is we look at the problems and, and God wants us to come and give him our problems so that that problem is no longer yours, but it's his. And as you come to God with your problem, you tell him your problems. But I also want to encourage you to tell your problems about your God. Because I think many times we as believers, we get underneath of our problems. We get consumed by our problems. We get overwhelmed by the, by the trial, by the pain. And listen, the pain is real. But the Lord longs to be gracious to you and he will rise up. Remember that in 2 Corinthians 1.20, the Apostle Paul says, For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. God is working in your life and in Jesus Christ. The promises of God are yes. Amen? Amen means so be it. And so he is more powerful than my problems. That's point number two in your notes. He is not only powerful, but he's more powerful than my problems. And when you consider your problems, then consider your God. And now put God at the rightful place as the Lord over your life and let him work those problems. When they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Verse 4, Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. John 2, verse 4. My woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Now, Jesus wasn't being disrespectful here. This was a, a term like when Jesus was on the cross. He looked at, looked at his mother and said, woman, behold thy son. So it was a, ter- a term of respect, actually. And he's saying here, listen, um, what does your concern have to do with me? And what he's really saying here is, what do we have in common at this point? In other words, Jesus was about to launch his ministry, and he's saying, okay, we're, we're on two different planes here. You know, I've got this thing that God's called me to do. I've got to be about my father's business. And he says, my hour has not yet come. That's a little verse there that my hour has not yet come teaches us a little bit to understand about God's timing is not your timing. God's timing is rarely your timing, but he is always in charge. Uh, His mother says to his servants, whatever he says to you, do it. So Jesus, uh, you know, my hour's not yet come. And then she looks to the servants and says, now, whatever he says, do it. And, and, you know, you can just say, you can just imagine Mary, you know, uh, just let me tell you, I raised him. He's not like my other kids. (laughs) Whatever he says, just do it. (laughs) I think you'll be impressed by whatever happens here today, you know. And so whatever he says, just do it. Nike thought that they had the, the, that uh, monopoly on that phrase, didn't they? Just do it. But uh, here, th- this is where it came from, right? Just do it. God is famous for doing what you would never do. God is famous for doing what you would never do. He's about to perform a miracle that these people have never seen anything like this. He's about to do something, and it would be the beginning of a of a season of miracles. You would have the next three years, you would see miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle that were going to validate who he is. Whatever he says, you do it. I want to encourage you in your life, if you want to see God work, just do what he tells you to do. Just do what God tells you to do. Like, it's real simple. He's given us his word. So that's point number three in your notes. Just do whatever he wants you to do. Whatever he tells you to do. What Jesus says to do, just do it. 
And so as you, as you come along and you're saying, okay, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do what he says. You open his word. He says to love my neighbor. He says to forgive. It, love God and love others. That sums it all up right there. Do whatever he says to do. Um, God is famous for doing what you would never do. And it's because over in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. God, God's thoughts are not your thoughts. His, his brain, his, the way God works is so much bigger than your brain. Our brains are finite. He is infinite. He's got all that you would ever know. Do you ever notice, like, there was a, a problem in your life and you, you figured something out later on? Like you went through a, a particular issue, and then later on, you're like, there's no answer. You couldn't discover it. Then later on, you found out, oh, well, that was the answer. God has got the answer already. He's got everything together. Do what Jesus says to do, because his thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are not your ways. His heart, his mind, his everything is much bigger than your mind. And now, folks, faith is not a leap in the dark. We have facts, we have knowledge, we have things that we base our faith on. So, so our faith, we're not going out, we're not just leaping in the dark and saying, well, you know, my mommy told me this, so therefore you've got to believe this. We have facts. That this is who Jesus is. And we come to him in faith, but beyond the facts that we have, God has all knowledge that you don't even have. Uh, he's about to defy science here. You don't... You don't come and turn water into wine. I can't do that. I don't know anybody that can do it. You go put water in your basement, and you put a lid on it, and you ferment it. Then you're going to have water. It's so cool. You can buy these bottles of water. There's not an expiration date on them. I, it won't, I can't get drunk off of this. It, thanks be to God. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, listen, you, you, this won't harm you. Jesus is going to take water here, and he's going to, he's, so what happens here is God's about to do something that's bigger, and it's something you would never do. I would never go and say, hey, go fill that up, and, uh, okay, God, I think you're going to do this. He's going to do something that's so big. And so sometimes in your life, when you're looking and you don't see God working, remember that whenever he's, he's delaying the answer, he's working on your character. And when God's working on your character, he's taking and he's going to something a little bit deeper than what you ever could imagine. God's going to something in your heart and your soul that is going to be so beautiful, but yet you're stuck on this and you're stuck on the pain. But folks, God never wastes a hurt. Remember that. God never wastes a hurt. In the middle of that hurt, he's going to take and he's going to go down deep and he's going to work into your heart and your soul. And I want to encourage you, as you're seeing the scripture here, I love what Mary says there, just do what he says to do. I want to encourage you to just do what he says to do. And you're going to see the hand of God working in your life. Verse 6, now there were six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Now check this out. They had this, uh, these water pots that were known for the purification. Um, they, they, they were known for purification. It's the ceremonial purification. So the Jews, they were taught, and this was part of their law, that if anything, uh, if you touched anything unclean, obviously you had to wash from it. So we do this today. We call it 
hand washing, right? You know, sing happy birthday while you, no, all right, we're going to put that face away. Remember, during the pandemic, sing happy birthday while you do this? Uh, no, that's not what this was. This was a ceremonial cleansing. And so they would come and they would, they would wash their hands and they would have these big jugs. I, I have a picture of one of the jugs, what it might look like. It said that they were 20 to 30 gallons apiece. Um, I want you to catch this big cement jug. There, the next one has a little bit closer up shot of it. And, and so they would have these, these big pots there. And you would come in before the meal and you would wash your hands and you would, you would go like this. As a matter of fact, the ceremonial cleansing, you wouldn't just wash your hands and let it drip that way. Um, especially if you were at the temple and you were doing a ceremonial cleanse, you would wash your hands in the water and then you would come up here and you would go like this and you would let the water drip down to the ground because they didn't want the, the stuff to go back in. You didn't want it to be this dirt. And so you, you would be, you'd be dealing with it like this and they were very particular. And, and at the temple, if you, did, if you did it like this, they had somebody stand there watching you and make you go back and do it again. And so it was, they were very particular about this. And so you ha what you had was you had a bunch of, you had dead religion. You had a bunch of rules. You had a bunch of regulations. And, and so Jesus is coming and he's saying, listen, I'm going to give you more than a bunch of dead religion. He tells them to take these water pots and they're going to go fill them up. And it said, verse 7 says, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Jesus is coming here, and he's going to show the people. He says, I can, I'm going to come not only to fill your cup, but to fill your life. It's going to come, and it's going to run, and it's going to go, and it's going to overflow. And I want to encourage you today. When you, when you do what Jesus says to do, you go and you fill it up. Fill it up with water. This makes no sense. These people are waiting for wine. These people are waiting for the party. Why are you telling me to fill this up with water? Just do what he says. When you just do what he says, then you get to watch Jesus do what only he can do. When you do what Jesus says, then you get to watch Jesus do what only he can do. That's point number four in your notes. Watch Jesus do what only he can do. Verse 8, and when he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast, and they took it. When the master of the feast had tested the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. The master of the, bride, the, master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, you, uh, then the inferior stuff comes out. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So what was Jesus doing? Jesus was taking a symbol of joy. The joy was gone. And he comes in and he works in a way that nobody had a clue. This was the first miracle John tells us. Nobody had ever seen anything like this. His mother was astounded. Nobody had watched this. But I'll tell you what, most people didn't understand what was happening that day. The people who understood was the guys who had to carry the 30-gallon stone jug. You ever carry a bottle of water from Giant Eagle? 24 packs of 16.9 bottles. Isn't it a lovely experience? And it's always left in the car for dad. 
and you're saying very wonderful things about your family as you carry it in. That's what these servants were doing. Jesus had only recruited about five other disciples at this point. Five of them got to see it. Mary gets to see it. They, the, everybody else is wondering, where's this wine coming from? And, and what Jesus did was he, he took the joy. And you know what? If Jesus would have got out and preached a sermon after that, because quite often after miracles, Jesus would give a little sermon. Like whenever he fed the 5,000 afterwards, he talked about the bread of life. He just gave them bread, so he talked about the bread of life. If Jesus would have given a sermon after this, he would have said, listen, the joy, the joy, you know that this is a symbol of joy. The joy, you don't get joy from what was in those pots. See, he didn't tell them to go fill the wine bottles. He said, go take these 30-gallon jugs that are known for the law. He says, and come and let me take what was in them, and I'm going to give them something new. I'm going to give new joy. I'm going to replace it because you can't get your joy from religion. Thanks be to God, you do not get joy from religion. Religion is me trying harder to get to God. Jesus said, no, 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 you don't need religion. I have come that you might have life. He's the, he is the joy giver. He's all-powerful. And so as you're looking at your life today, the message for me and you is this. Understand that Jesus is all-powerful. And while God is moving and there's things that you don't understand, there's pain. And I've been with many young people who've told me this through the years. One of the biggest struggles I have with Christianity is the pain that I face in life. And I'm watching a number of them that are discovering how powerful Jesus is. I'm watching them have a discovery of who Jesus is because they are finding Jesus, not religion. Religion will turn you off. It will turn me off. If this was about religion, I wouldn't even be here, especially on Time Change Sunday. But listen, Jesus is not about religion. He's about what he, the God of the universe, has done for you. And he's come to this earth and he paid the price. And so if you haven't trusted him yet, today's the day. The Bible says now is the time. Today is the day. Open your heart and trust him as your Savior. And if you have trusted him as your Savior, I want to encourage you, stop going to religion to get your joy. Stop going into your own ways to get your joy. You will never find joy by trying to fill that hole. God is what you need to fill that hole in your life. Jesus is all-powerful. Amen? Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to invite you to Jesus. Scriptures tell us that if you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved from the punishment of your sin. And so today I want to invite you to trust Jesus. He's powerful. The disciples there, the, the last verse we read there said that they believed. Will you believe today? Will you look at this, just this one miracle? Like we could go through miracles on top of miracles. We could do a series on miracles. Will you look at who he is and believe?
that he is who he said he is and that he will change your life. And if that's you today, you're ready to believe, would you open your heart and just pray something like this? Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you. I need your power in my life. You know the joy that's been missing. I've been trying to find it in other places. But today I humble myself and I surrender to get my joy from you. You died on a cross. You paid for my sin. You were buried. And you rose again. And I invite you into my heart and soul right now. And for others this morning, maybe God's been talking to you. Maybe you've started a relationship with Christ, but you've been experiencing some lost joy. Maybe you've been experiencing this joy, that, that gap. Maybe you've been living in the gap of the expectations and the joy. The joy is gone. You won't find the joy even as a believer, you won't find the joy anywhere but Jesus. Would you call on him right now and, and do business with God? Father God, thank you for the power of your word. God, it's a beautiful passage, Lord, where we see true history. We see Jesus interacting, God the flesh, interacting with humans. And, and defying their minds, defying their abilities. And when you turned that water into wine, Lord, it was all about a bigger picture, that the joy comes from God. God, thank you that we don't get our joy in religion. We don't get our joy in the things that the world has to offer or the things that I can try to manufacture. It only comes from you. Thank you, Lord, as we're discovering who you are, Jesus is all-powerful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song. And as we sing our closing song, just worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords.
church service here tonight, y'all. Cheers to you. 